All right, it's DT Systems, dog tested and dog tough. You know, we like that dog in them, baby. We've been using the H2O1820. Over the last several months, we've been playing with this unit. Our friends at Standing Stone Kennels, Ethan and Kat, they've been using it for years, and we've been playing with it. We really like it. I think for the dog trainer, the hunter, and the guy or gal who's training their dog to get ready for duck season, we'll really enjoy the 1820. Super reliable, super consistent, great unit for you and your dogs. H2O1820. Dog tested. Dog. Gunner Kennels, baby. Hashtag man's best kennel. Well, it's also now hashtag man's best food crate. It's freaking raccoon proof. You can't get into this thing. Your dog can't bust into the lid and eat all the food. Trust me. I know Memphis has done it in the past. She looks like a blown up pumpkin. Boom. But not anymore. We've got the Gunner Kennel food crate. It's easy to pack. Easy to store, keeps food dry, which food's an investment, man. That Purina, baby, it ain't cheap anymore, so keep it dry, good, all that stuff. Easy to pack, easy to store. The Gunner Kennel Food Crate, slide into DMs if you'd like to learn more. Force Fetch, what is it? It's super intimidating to so many people, yet it's not that difficult. I built a step-by-step process that helps you understand it. You and your dog can be successful in it and it takes the intimidation away of the process so that you and your dog can get to your goals. That's what it's built for. Let me teach you how I do it so that you and your dog can do it. Different breeds, different personalities, problem solving, and more. Check it out. Links in the description. The Force Fetch Course. Baby. What's going on, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Lone Ducks Gun Dog Chronicles. You've got Kevin and Bob here on the line. We are going to have a cool episode today, kind of just touch up on some things, chat a little bit about what's going on in life, in business. It's been a while. It's been a little while. I'm sorry, but we also have several episodes lined up that should knock your socks off, baby. So stay tuned. Um, Actually, one that I'm very excited about, uh, Ethan and Kat from Standing Stone Kennels, they are coming to central New York, I'm assuming for the first time, because why else would they come up here? But they're coming up this week. They're picking up a puppy off of our dog, Sam, a lone duck pup, and they are going to do their YouTube thing, and they are going to train the puppy, how-tos, ask questions, and it's going to be their next, you know, show-and-tell, if you will. Good project for them. Yep. For everybody. It'd be awesome. They got a black male from Sam's Litter, so HRCH, Hunting Retriever Champion, Sam, and Hunting Retriever Champion, Master Hunter, Ryder. We had 10 puppies. I don't really remember the breakdown, actually, but two chocolate females, maybe three black females, and five black males. Yep. I think that's right. Four and four? Four and four and two. Man, Man. I need a nap, and I need to go back to elementary school math. But the puppies are are coming to our 
HQ, Lone Duck Chateau. They're going to be here tomorrow night. No. Yes. They get here Thursday. Oh, no. puppies. Puppies. Gotcha. You're right. Puppies. Jimbo's dropping them off. Yep. Yep. So my buddy Jimbo is picking up from our whelping lady, Celeste. And so they'll be here at HQ tomorrow night. And that is when I'll be evaluating them. Celeste has evaluated each puppy and given me descriptions of each. And then I'm going to make my own notes. And then I compare and contrast. So it's like I get a feel for it. And then they're going to get pigeons. They're going to get uh, water introduction. We're going to have a riot, baby. It's going to be cool. So stay tuned for that. But Ethan and Kat are coming up here, and they're going to spend three days, two and a half days, and we're going to not only have fun swimming in the pool and bonfire and a podcast, but they're going to do some filming for their YouTube channel, and they want to help boost ours. So I'm super excited. I mean, I haven't really messed around with YouTube in a while, so Ethan has been poking and prodding me to put a little bit more video content out there and helping us get that done. So anyways, a lot of good stuff coming up, I guess, and we'll talk more into the show about all that. I kind of digressed into the show without chatting about our sponsors. My bad. So, first up, hey, you can do Bob, baby, 3020. Actually, they just had a shipment today of 40 bags, and our delivery services forgot the puppy and just packed a boatload of adult food. Not a big deal. Dogs will eat it, but we'll handle it tomorrow. We got to get that puppy food for old Quinn Girl and Thin Lizzie and Roscoe and a new dog named Dash, so... Yeah, a new dog named Dash? Yeah. That's a good dog name. What kind of dog is Dash? Dash is a little black lab. Um, yeah, good little dude. Uh, got him picking up ducks. He loves to swim. You know, we're teaching him how to mark, and we actually really need to jump on Force Fetch. He's done great with collar conditioning, but Force Fetch needs to start. Fine, so, you can noob a dog. That's right. That's what's up. So, anyways, I got to get some puppy food. Write that down on your notes, Kevin. Um, I'm teasing you. You don't have to find a pen. <laughs> right, next up is Gunner Kennels, the kennels that protect our hound doggies. And Kevin just got a cap, a grandpa cap for his truck, and it actually looks sick. It looks it's really not cool. And when you got two Gunner Kennels sitting in the back of it, it's it even, even more cooler. legit. Yep. Yeah. So man's best kennel, safest ride for your dog. If you'd like to learn more about them, we are can provide you information as well as sell them to you. So shoot us a message. We'd be happy to help you get into man's best kennel. Next up, smoke them if you got them, baby. Welcome to the Traeger hood. Traeger grills. I smoked the best ribs I've ever eaten in my life tonight. They were pretty good. I'm just going to say, if someone plated me up at a restaurant, those ribs, I would have been really pleased. I'd be like, yeah, those are damn good ribs, Kevin. Like, you should have gotten the ribs tonight. I mean, you're going to have to share a little bit of what you did. I'm going you went, to. You went off the, off the like, 
rails with this one. I've ne- truthfully, I've never made ribs before in my life. Um, I've enjoyed ribs. I enjoyed barbecue, all sorts of barbecue, but I've never made ribs before. So I did some research and I did a, I thought them out, cleaned it up. I cleaned all the silver skin off and then did a dry rub. Traeger has different dry rubs that you can put on your meat. Do you remember which one you put on there? It's probably the pork one. That makes sense. Yeah, it's pork and poultry. I don't remember what it's called. The apple honey one? I think that's what that is. Yeah, it's like a sweet and savory type (sighs) thing. So, yeah, super good. So I rubbed that down, rubbed my meat down with that trigger rub. Then I added to it because I can't just like, I don't know. I got to like do my own thing. It's probably one of my (laughs) parts of my awesomeness slash people hate it, I'm sure. But I wanted to like just test it out. So I added uh, organic grain sugar it's just sugar (laughs) but it's special sugar apparently to carry um so i sprinkled some of that extra on there and i think that's it that was my rub i wanted a little bit sweet i like sweet barbecue same okay um put in the smoker two hours at 250 then at two hours in about 15 minutes because i was working I came back, and I put it in an aluminum foil, like heavy-duty. I wrapped the heck out of it because I didn't want it leaking. And then it said put apple juice and something else in there. Well, Uncle Bob doesn't have apple juice. Come on. What do you think this is? I have coffee, water, beer, and probably almond milk (laughs) or cashew milk. I didn't even know you could milk a cashew, but apparently it has nipples. nipples. Because if you got nipples, you can milk me. <laughs> Name that movie. Meet the Parents. Yep. You weren't even sure. Uh, I was going to say Meet the Fockers, but you're right. It was Meet the Parents, the yeah, first one. Okay. So, <laughs> so, anyways, <laughs> Fokker. So we, you. So I wrapped it, okay? <clears throat> and then it said to make this, like, sauce, if you will. Oh, that's what it was. It was apple juice and barbecue sauce. So I'm like, well, I don't have apple juice, but I do have bush light. So I poured half a bush light can into a saucepan. I poured, there's a Traeger sauce called like Spicy Texas or Texan or something. Poured a uh, half a bottle of that in, added more sugar, and that's it. Oh, and some ketchup just to help thicken it up and not use up all my BBQ sauce. Right. Mix it up. And then I slowly drizzled it over the ribs so that it was completely covered on top. And then it's obviously going to be underneath. Mm -hmm. Wrapped it even, you know, wrapped it all up. Put it back on the grill for two more hours. Then, two hours and 15 minutes later, (laughs) I took it off the grill. And you put, that's where you put your barbecue sauce back on top. And it like sets the barbecue sauce. So it gets a little bit of that crisp and that bark that they talk about. Did that for a half an hour, which turned into 45 minutes or more. <laughs> but, but you, you like, 
the bones like pulled out so easily and it cut like butter and it melted in your mouth. And I'm telling you, I've never, I mean, I have, cause there's a couple really good places in Charleston that we've eaten. These ribs were so good. It was candy. Not bad. Not bad for your first round. Nah, I was, oh yeah. I think trimming the silver skin is clutch. You know, whether you're doing it on ducks, geese, venison, or your pork ribs, clean the silver skin and get that crap out of there or else that's what's like tough and chewy and sinewy. All right, next up. Who do we got? I'm already, oh, Dogtra. Dogtra. Mm, use that sucker today, baby. We worked hard today. Uh, we had a great day. We're, Kevin asked me like, one of the questions we're going to dive into later in the episode is now that there's no master national, what are we doing differently in training? And the answer is not a whole lot, but we are incorporating even more realistic duck hunting stuff. Okay. So not, I guess today we really stretched them out, but in general, we have been doing shorter marks, breaking birds, shooting guns, blowing duck calls. You know, me and Jimmy are yelling to each other after he shoots and throws and I shoot, you know, good shooting, buddy. All right, way to go. And what we're doing is upping the ante on these dogs and possibly breaking and whatever. And so we're getting them with the collar, that old dog to edge RT for breaking. Um, And it's awesome. Dogs are really, really starting to fine-tune their duck-dog skill. So if you're interested, a lot of people ask us what collars we use. I know we say it a bunch, but during duck season, I like the 1900S. I sell every single client that leaves my facility a 1900S. Um, If you have a two-dog household and you need two, it's the 1902S, which I have. Love it. Yep. Real good. Convenient. Dad has a two for Buck and Boss. Yeah. It's a nice little unit. Um, If you're looking for more, if you're looking for what the pros use, that would be the Edge RT. That has up to three collars. I love it. It's just the best best collar. So um, Dogtra, love them. Great customer service as well. So thank you very much dog truck and we can help you get into a dog truck if you need it so shoot me a dm at lone duck for your gunner kennels dog truck needs uh last up is waypoint outdoor collective these guys keep us in tune with you with our analytics and they also have a ton of other great podcasts on deck so if you're into fishing deer hunting homesteading all sorts of shenanigans and want to tune into their cool stuff check out waypoint outdoor collective all right kevin we kind of got into the show into that intro i know it was like a i hope people didn't fast forward intro to the show um not bad i mean it took a while but i felt like there was some fun stuff well jokes on them if they fast forwarded through that so uh i do want to jump back into a little bit of what you're saying with uh talking about the edge rt but you had mentioned keeping the dogs kind of in check and in line and uh, making sure that if they're breaking on birds, I mean, I guess here's the deal. Let me, let me uh, dive into that a little more. Okay. Not necessarily the breaking we can, I want you to jump back and, or, you know, have me revisit if I don't, but one thing we, I'm, 
I get into is we're we're in hunt test mode. We are preparing for junior hunter, senior hunter, master hunter. Um, we are teaching dogs how to mark. We're doing marking drills. We're teaching tee pattern and force fetch. And so many things go into making a great duck dog that's really, really, really important. But sometimes those duck dogs don't need to go out 200 yards and pick up a bird. And it's really kind of easy for them to be steady during that 200-yard mark because the excitement is 200 yards away. When that excitement is 15 yards away, it's a little harder to sit still. That's the reason why I call it a go bird. Because they go before they should? I Yeah. No, I mean, that's not why it's called that. But, but Why is it called a go bird then? Because that's the last bird down that they go for. But they should go when... I, I'm with you. I'm teasing Damn. you. All right, well... I bet I'm not the only person that just assumed that. No. Last bird down is your go bird. Anyways. But, huh. but what we've been doing is simplifying our marks, increasing the excitement, and trying to get dogs to make mistakes, which generally we don't. We want them to build on success and teach through success. But sometimes they need to teach or, or learn through a negative situation, right? So by breaking and and me setting them up for quote-unquote failure, now if they do good, that's great. If they break, I'm going to get on them. I'm going to bring them back. I'm going to have Jimmy, my bird boy, pick the bird up, deny them the retrieve, and and practice sitting still and having all this commotion that we all know happens in a duck blind. Like, hey, who shot that one? How many do we got over here? You know, oh, we got more coming in, more coming in. They're coming off the trees, coming off the trees. Get ready, get ready, get ready. Now, how many times when you do that, like, get ready, get ready, or right here, right here, right here, or on your left, on your left, you know, low, low, low. The dog is jacked up. The dog gets more jacked up, and they know as soon as you start talking like that, it's about to go down, and they'll break. And so it's my job to prepare them for that. And so now that Master National is canceled, Memphis is getting that again. Kenai is getting more of that. Everybody in the truck is getting that instead of just doing it with Roscoe and Jake and Hunter and Brew. Like Even though those guys are running juniors and seniors and all that, they are 99% these people's family dog and hunting dog, and we, we play the hunt test game. Memphis, well, Memphis is my family dog, and I hunt her yeah. a ton too, but Memphis is my test dog. Quinn is my test dog. You know, they are learning how to compete and walk into a holding blind nicely and do everything that they're supposed to at a hunt test. And so we'll set up the morning as a duck dog thing and the afternoon as, you know, hunt test stuff. I don't know. We switch it all up, but... but since Master National has been canceled, it, I've actually had way more focus on let's set up a ducky ducky setup and do it with everybody and make sure that Memphis is is staying steady and dogs are really taking a deep breath and calming down a little bit instead of getting way 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 jacked up or at least if they are jacked up they're thinking. Yeah, I wanna 
I want to break this down for other people into, you know, not everybody's looking to, to go out and teach their dog and try to do something similar that you do with 25 dogs in an afternoon and you do it every single day. So like, how can we break this down? Um, you know, if, if you were to give people advice, like what would you do with the one dog that they've got or the two dogs that they've got to help teach and promote steadiness? Maybe you go hunting with you, your buddy and their dog, like what sort of things would you have them do? And then you talked a lot about factors today on Instagram. I'd like to get into that in, a little bit. Son. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, I'd like to get into that a little bit and like how you set up opportunities to uh, have corrections with dogs and like how you look at a field and you're yeah, like, what are we going to do today? Yeah. No, nah, it's a really good question. There's actually several it's questions question. in there. So oh, yeah. If you, ha- all right, let's tackle the one dog, two dog guy or one dog and a buddy with a dog. Right. So there is, um, there's one thing that I like to do and it's called an English honor. And an English honor is taken straight out of the British lab game book or playbook, right? And you have multiple dogs sitting down, whether they're on Momar stands or just sitting on the ground or laying down in a ground blind. You got multiple dogs out, and you've got wingers or a bird boy or even thrown from the hip. And if the dog is steady, that dog gets the bird. So... For an example, me and Kevin are out training. I've got Memphis. He's got Birdie. And Birdie pitter-patters her two front feet. Memphis didn't move a muscle. Memphis gets the bird. Next round, Birdie doesn't move a muscle. Memphis doesn't move a muscle. Reward Birdie. Let her get the bird. Now you're creating steadiness. You're creating honoring. You're creating this idea of they don't know when it's their turn, so not every bird down is theirs, where a lot of times, you know, we'll run a setup or a marking set uh, drill or what have you, and let's say Memphis is up. Well, she's going to get all those birds. You know, if we're doing four marks, she's getting every single one. If she pitter-patters or moves or does something stupid... I'm going to have Jimmy go and pick it up. She's going to get denied the retrieve, and we're going to throw it again or walk her back to the truck and put her up. But to sit there and be like, I made this mistake, I got corrected for this mistake, and now I've got to watch Birdie go and get it, Uh, I bet you. Now, the next one, she still might be excited. The third one, she might be even more excited because she's like, I haven't gone in three or four times. But then the fifth or sixth, it's going to set in. And then you're building muscle memory and learning where not every bird down is theirs and they can sit still. So if you got a buddy and your dogs are mature enough, right? This isn't a four month old, six month old, eight month old drill. This is dogs who've been well studied, have understood some things already. Your medium advancement, right? Like like yes, your middle obedience. level. Yeah. yeah. You're, you're middle level. You're right. not developing a gun dog from zero to, you know, nine months doing this. You're doing this from nine months to nine years old. Right. And even nine months, I'm erring on the side that that's still wicked young. You have a hundred other things you've got to worry about to teach that dog how to be a duck dog before you do the honoring drills and all that stuff. But it's still a really good little drill to work on. Um, what else can they do? You know, 
I have uh, made by a retriever trainer, or it's called like a lucky launcher, or they're just like handheld bumpers that you, you shoot, you know, pull the thing back, it hits a 22 blank, the 22 blank projectiles the bumper. Okay. So you get a gunshot and you get a mark and it throws it further than you can. For the average guy, I think, or gal, I think this is fantastic. Now, the negative of it is it's always coming from your hip. Unless you sit the dog down and walk out, shoot it, walk back to your dog and send them or send them remotely, which is cool. I just don't do that a lot, and I think it's kind of hard for people to get to that level. But anyways, something to work for. But that tool is really cool because it's incorporating all those things that's super exciting. So you can wail on the duck call, you can hoot and holler, you can shoot a gun, and they go and get that retrieve. And so I'll skip that sucker off the ground right in front of their face. I'll shoot it straight down in the ground, and it'll, you know, 10 feet away, boom, 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 boom. And it boom, 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 meaning like you shoot it, and it'll tumble and roll and flip and flop right in front of their face, and they got to sit still. Um, The other thing you can do is what's called a diversion, a diversion, sorry, not a version or whatever my pronunciation. Sorry. Um, so a diversion shot would be, they're coming back from a retrieve. They got a duck or a bumper in their mouth and you can shoot that sucker off. And so it's just like me and Kevin duck hunting. The dog's coming back with a retrieve and a group of mallards circles over top of us and we dump one. I probably shot it, not Kevin, but Hey, it's cool. Keep going with the story. Okay. All right. I thought we were going to get a badoom. Wrong one. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, um, this this diversion shot, the dog should be through force fetch when you do this. This is not, again, a six-month-old dog thing. You can work on it, but without force fetch and collar conditioning, it's really not fair to get on a dog when they do this because what's going to happen is you're going hang on break it down we so we're we're moving fast we got diversions the dog's on his way back the dog's on its way back for retrieve (laughs) and you shoot that bumper out or you Mm -hmm. can hand throw it hand throwing is better at first because there's no sound the gunshot definitely adds excitement for them what a dog will do 99 percent of the time is drop the bird that they're retrieving and go and try and get what you just slung. You have to make them and teach them to do not drop that bumper, come to me, and then you get sent for that other one that I just shot, the diversion. So if they drop it and they are through force fetching, collar conditioning, all that, I am going to get on their butt with the collar I'm going to make them go get the other one. Now, let's say you lose. And this happened to me the other day. You lose. You're getting them on the collar. You're yelling no, whatever. And they still fight you and go and get the diversion shot. Okay. Pick up the diversion shot. Make them go get the one that they dropped. Start over. Do it again. Do it again. Do it again. And sooner or later, they're going to be like, oh, yeah. I'm force-fetched. I shouldn't drop this. I'm getting a correction. If I just hang on to it and keep coming to Bob, then nothing bad happens. And then you praise the heck out of them for doing it right, and then they go get the, the bird. 
the diversion shot. So it's a win-win, and they, they do pick up on it very quick. But I think for your duck dog, that's a great drill, and it's very rapid fire. You can get a lot in in one session, and the dogs have fun with it once they understand it because it's fast pace and the excitement level's up. It's really fun. The first few times, I promise you they don't have as much fun, and some do better than others, but I had a battle with one dog yesterday. Oh, she just it, it, she She's so excited about retrieving that as soon as something came slinging around, she just had to have it. But by the end, she figured it out. And that she can go get it if she just is a waits a second, mm-hmm. finishes one job before going to the next. Right. So it was really, it's really, really good. Um, so that's one little duck hunting thing I do before they go home and just tuning up before the season. Sure. It's also really good for hunt tests. It can happen. Uh, I was at a hunt test in Ohio one time and they would shoot the boom gun and throw the duck, and it basically rolled in front of the dog's face as it was coming out of the water, and they had to still hold on to their bird and bring it to you and then go and get it. If they dropped the bird and switched, you're, you're out. So it's it's a good thing to practice. It's very high-level duck dog. <coughs> Excuse me. So that's one of them. Um, you know, work on your ground blind, work on your Momar stand, work on gunfire, and another thing I like to remind people is gunfire's gunfire is and we've said it a million times on this podcast, you don't have a duck dog if they're afraid of guns. Or you don't have a gun dog if they're afraid of guns, right? So let's say you literally haven't shot over your dog since last duck season. Just warm them up a little bit. Don't just go shooting the twelve gauge over top of their head after eleven months. You know, start a little bit further away, have it out in the field, getting a mark thrown, and then work that bird, you know, the gunner in. That way, it's not just shell shock, especially if they're young still. So let's say they're a year and a half or two years old. Just work them back in, do it smart, and then you'll be just fine. But that's just a little tidbit because I shot over a dog who has hunted before, and I just noticed that she flinched more than normal. I'm like, eh, all right, back up you know, yeah. 10 feet, and then she never flinched again, and then I was right over her head, and she didn't flinch anymore. So, again, just a little food for thought. I think it's important to just always remind everyone that, like, if you know, if you haven't done something in a year, you're going to be rusty. You can't expect you to be, you know, ship shape if you haven't done it in a year. So if you haven't heard a round go off over your head in a year, that's going to wake you up. Yeah. Or just seeing ducks drop or knowing to watch for like all these little things. You can't just expect hunting season to roll around and they pick up right where they left off. Some dogs will. Yeah. But I I definitely think right now, like let's say today is August 1st, but it's almost right. I know. But let's say it's August 1st dove season, early goose season starts in a month. Yeah. So everybody should be like the now is when you should. Plan. You better be buckling down yeah. three, four days a week. You need to be building their cardio back up. You need to be building swimming, running, you know, get them a little bit more acclimated to the warmer weather. So if your dog lives inside with you in the AC all summer long in North Carolina and only goes outside to poop and pee, and then you expect them September 1st to sit in a dove field when it's 95 degrees out and be totally acclimated, you're... No good. Yeah. Okay. It's not fair. No, it's it's not. So 
you know, just be smart, be careful of heat exhaustion and, and overheating, but that would be key. Now is the time to start working on that steadiness again, start working on the gunfire, the decoys, the duck calls, take them on a fishing trip and get them on the boat again, throw some marks off the boat. All that stuff is really good preseason, tune-up drills, maintain steadiness. Uh, while we're on the subject of this one, uh, last week, week two, two weeks ago, I came out and we did some good training. It was awesome. We uh, did some work with Andy and Covey, and you had mentioned Andy got winded a little bit quick. She's been yeah, she's, she's a been, couch dog. She's for been the living the life, months. right? Why is that? Why did you tell me that that was such an issue? Remember she, what you said to she's me? She's not going to be able to smell a bird after ten minutes when why? the dogs are huffing and puffing and their tongue is hanging out of their mouth and they can barely breathe because they're breathing so heavily. They're not using their nose anymore; they're using their mouth, and that everybody knows this. I hope, but like a dog panting helps cool them down. And so if their mouth is gaping open and they're breathing heavy, they aren't smelling anymore. So you're not going to get your points. You're not going to get a dog that's in, staying in that cover and hunting the downed bird that you shot. They're going to be hot. They're going to be breathing, and they won't be able to smell a darn thing. So it's very important to in, increase their cardio. They've got to be able to run for long periods of time so that when you go out opening day of grouse season here in New York and it might be 60 degrees that's still very warm to a dog and she's going to be gassed in 15 minutes suck sucking wind like that's not good so very important to build cardio one thing I do warn people road running it's a big one so if you're a jogger and you like to yog around, your dog shouldn't really go out with you on the pavement. A, the pavement's hotter than Hades, and you'll fry your dog's feet. And B, it's pounding on their joints, okay? They're already getting beat up training, and they're already getting beat up hunting. Pounding on pavement for their joints is terrible. So don't do that. Also, you 100% shouldn't do that before they're fully grown and their joints and muscles and ligaments are developed. So do not take your six month old puppy for a two mile, you know, run around the neighborhood on cement. That's not good cardio. You're just hurting your dog's future. Um, about trail running. Yeah. I was just going to say trail running, you know, um, just taking them on a hike where they're going up and down hills and through the woods and, jumping and they're going at their pace and an hour they'll be toast in 20 minutes they'll probably be toast but that 20 minutes will turn into 30 minutes will turn into 45 minutes will turn into an hour and a half and so from now until hunting season you should be thinking about fine-tuning their hunting skills steadiness gunshots cardio those are your main concerns right now as it's august 1st Let's say if you're like me, you're not going to go on an hour long run, ride a bike, <laughs> take the mountain bike out on the trails, rip around on that and have the dogs run next to you and in front of you safely and careful, whatever. But 
that is a good way to pack in some miles and get some cardio for the dogs yeah. without getting cardio for yourself. That's a great point. A little, little cheater for you. And a lot of people don't have four-wheelers, yeah. right? So, like, I've got a four-wheeler, and almost every single day, those dogs are getting 15 minutes of hard running. Yeah. Plus, they're getting trained. So, their cardio is immaculate. I actually thought about this one time. Like, I had a family... You know, not super, like, outdoorsy family, and I did their obedience dog. It was a house dog. It All it needed to do was come when it was called, walk nice on a leash, and relax in the house. Well, that dog was swimming every day, running every day with the four-wheeler. It was, like, peak physical condition. And <laughs> you I'm basically myself, just I'm handed like, them an athlete. <laughs> I just handed you a super athlete that, like, you can't tire out now because its cardio was so high. And I'm like, dang. Maybe I need to like fatten up these house dogs and get them a little lazy and like, I don't know, but no, I'm just kidding. But anyways, I do think about that. Like your dog's preseason should be in shape. A fat dog is a bad dog. It's going to overheat. It's not something where like, oh, that extra blubber is going to keep them warm this duck season. No, their body has to work harder. So they're burning calories like just trying to do the work that that's not burning calories, keeping them warm. Like it, it's just, you're going to get higher likelihood of overheating. You're going to higher likelihood of fatigue. You're going to higher likelihood of injury. You're going to higher likely of death early. They, you need to keep your dogs trim and fit. Well, that was lovely. Uh, I want to jump to something that you had mentioned on Instagram today, which uh, was adding different factors into your training, um, you know, for duck dog training specifically moving into the hunting season. Like what are some factors that anybody at home can, you know, bring into the soccer field? Yeah. Well, you know, soccer field park. has no features. You, you get my so, point of like, right. So what can we do? No, I think that's a great point because if you're only going to mm. soccer fields or your local park where it's green grass, that's ankle deep, or lower and you're doing marks there your dog's gonna a find those birds super easy or or bumpers super easy they need to have terrain features hills um well, bushes hay bales like where can you go to find right. stuff think, think about how you hunt let's say you're a field goose hunter and you're in a hay field but the hay field butts up against a cut cornfield Dogs will hit that barrier, they'll run through the hayfield, and they'll hit that cornfield, that cut corn, and they'll stop. And they'll just, they, they can't go further because that terrain feature, that little factor stops them. If they've learned to push through factors and different cover changes, that then they are apt to actually pin their mark and do it. So when I set up marks, I want to set up going across dirt roads, going across deep grass, short grass, deep grass. I want them to think about duck hunting. Let's say we're in a swamp and we sail one over the cattails. Well, it's not in the water and it's not in the cattails. It, it fell in the woods. So that dog has to swim, bust through cattails, and then hunt the woods. Now that dog, a young dog or a dog who hasn't had many factors in training is probably going to stop at the cattails because it's like a wall and they're going to stay swimming in the water and have no idea. Even though they marked the bird, they saw it fall. 
They saw it not splash. They will not drive through the cattails. So you have to teach dogs to push through cover and and drive and go to the mark, right? So that would be a prime example of a duck hunt. Um, and the goose hunt would be like you're in an alfalfa field or a cornfield or whatever. And the, it, it you could also have it like we're hunting a field, but there's a farm pond nearby and it sails into the farm pond. Well, if your dog has never ran 70 yards and then had to enter the water, it's going to hunt the water's edge. The duck could be 20 yards floating belly up kicking in the pond, but if your dog has never, it has only maybe had marks from shoreline into the water, there's and it just jumps in the water and goes, but it's never been, you know, pulled further back from the shoreline, you know, and had a running start where it's like, I've got to run 70 yards, hit water, swim 60 yards, find my bird, or run 70 yards, hit 40 yards of water, get out 30 yards and find your bird. They're not going to do that. They're going to stop at the first factor or barrier in their way and break down and hunt. So these are things that you can do. This is not rocket science. So you can start close and back up. That would be the first thing I would do is... Start close to the water's edge and no, then back I, up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's start, fine. Yeah, yeah. That would be fine. But, like, start close. If you're in that hay field or alfalfa field with cut corn, start close where they. it's very easy for them to make that transition, then back up. Um, and just always look at the terrain features. Hills. If you're running the dog on a side hill, that dog's going to do one of two things. It's going to fall off the hill and just cave down the hill and not run and hold their line, or they're going to square the hill and drive up the hill real sharply. They're not going to naturally want to just keep running on the side hill. And that these are like marking drills. These are things that we're setting up for our hunt tests and our hunting dogs, but like you can do it too. It's not just for a hunt test dog. It's what you'll see in a real scenario where the dog's got to hang tight and, and persevere through a challenge side hill mud puddles ponds um breaking ice whatever it is and they've got to you know have that grit and the tools in the toolbox to be like i've been here before now i i know what to do you know what kind of reminds me of is uh when talking about puppies and people always ask puppy advice and whatever and i know the the lone duck mantra is always like nouns the more people, places, and things you can introduce a dog to, the more well-rounded they'll be, the more confident they'll be. And to me, this just sounds kind of like a, a elevated, older dog, more experienced version of that, where it's like, okay, they need to know what a hay bale is, or they're going to run by it and be like, what the heck is this huge thing? Or know that they can run through corn fields, but if they've never done it before, exactly. or you know, whatever it might be, like the dog needs to be well-rounded, and it has to, it can't just be expected to be well-rounded. You need experience. Yeah. And I think that's one thing you know, we've, there's a debate and, and maybe you guys listening have heard this debate. Can a field trial dog or a hunt test dog be a good hunting dog? So the answer is yes, but there is definitely things that if a dog has only been trained for field trials, like we have a dog right now in uh, a friend of mine bought her client and she's on the truck. She has only been groomed for field trials. She's two and a half. 
She's never had a shotgun shot over her. She's never been on a mow marsh. She's never had a duck call out in the field, or at least it seems it, because she doesn't know where to look, even though Jimmy's right there blowing a duck call. She's looking all around. That that goes, yeah, because they don't do that in field trials. They just don't. So totally blew her mind. That's all she's been trained for. Now, if that's all you've been training for, and that's all your dog knows, well, no, duh, she doesn't know how to get on your dog stand. No, duh, she doesn't know what a shotgun is or a duck call is. We need to teach what they're going to see in the duck blind. But I don't know how long I've had her, three weeks, maybe a month, and we've broken things down and shown them to her. And like last week and this week, I started seeing the bell or the uh, light bulb go off in her head, and she's starting to do pretty normal things again, like actually marking things well. Instead of looking out for a white coat, she's looking at Jimmy with a duck call. Um, so it's it's imp- it's good. Now, your hunting dog, dogs who've only hunted, are going to have a harder time with some of the hunt test scenarios that we talk about, with the field trial stuff we talk about. If they've only picked up ducks in the decoys at 30 yards because you guys splash them in the decoys and the ones that sail off, you guys walk around and you know go and get it with the dog and just hunt them up, that's great, great hunting dog stuff that every dog should know but then you go out and try and stretch them out to 250 yards and they are going to break down at 50 yards so it's really important to have a well-rounded well-experienced dog no matter what you do so that when things go weird come hunting season that dog's going to have all all the things there for experience that they can handle and that's what i guess my job is but you know it's also teaching them T patterns. It's also teaching them pattern blinds. It's also teaching them force fetch and collar conditioning. And there's so much that goes into a four month basic gun dog program. They're not basic. They can hunt anything, upland pheasant. They can do it all. They just, they haven't gone to hand signals and whatnot. But, you know, a lot of our dogs that go home from our basic gun dog program can mark a 250 yard bird and do it stoutly and look really nice doing it. But they, they, and it's fun doing that. And the dogs have fun doing it. But they also have to be really, really steady and obedient and, and under control because guess what? We've got loaded shotguns in our boat and in our blind. We've got sick of gear that costs way too much money. And we don't want dogs jumping on us and climbing over us in the boat. So we need to have a, I need to train a dog and you need to train a dog, listeners that is enjoyable to have in the blind. So you've got to have that foundation of strong obedience, self-control, discipline, structure, along with all the experiences of factors and terrain and live birds and gunshots and all that stuff. There's so much to it. Good Lord. I'm stressing myself out. I know that's sorry. You only have like 30 dogs to work on that. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I, yeah, Maybe not tonight, but it might be fun to talk about like going out hunting with people's dogs and things you notice maybe in other dogs. Oh, well, yeah. One pet peeve. Well, Remember yeah, we were talking like, about diversions? Yeah. One of my pet peeves. And I mean it in a nice way. Yeah, me but too. just, you know. No, I'm not going to name any names. Yeah, yeah, but like ways to better your dog because. Yeah, one of my pet peeves know. is the dog where we dump 
four ducks or four geese and they're steady, good, that's wonderful. Now, maybe they weren't because I, I hate a dog who breaks. But they're steady, but then they go and get the first bird, all excited, drop it, go get the second bird, drop it, go get the third bird, drop it, go get the fourth bird, bounce back to the second bird, bring it back. Run out, get the first bird, drop it, go get the third bird, drop it, go get the fourth bird, bring it back. Yeah. And they just run amok, and there's yelling, and here, 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 burn them on the collar, and it's like, ah, this sucks. Like, if the dog just went out and got it, came back, went out and got it, came back, handled on a blind, handled on a blind, boom, 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 you know, it's nice to hunt over. So that's one of my pet peeves, and that diversion training really, and force fetch, really really helps go get one thing bring it back i also have a pet peeve of dogs that bring two things back to me like hate it i hate why? it i mean i get i get like why because it's not it. ideal but, but okay can you hate <laughs> why like one because here's my here's my what we're out hunting drop two birds and there's birds everywhere and we're having an awesome day and it's cool and fun and whatever. Sure. That's just twice as efficient. I know. Look at that. Some people, dogs coming back fast. Some people really like it, man. Some people really like it and you know, it's fine. But what I think it does create is a dog that screws around. They're doing things on their own. They have been trained to do it the right way. And like, for instance, going to a back pile and picking up a bumper, dropping it, picking up a bumper, dropping Shopping it. Shopping a pile. We've talked about it. Or, like, grabbing one and then struggling to pick up another. Like, no, here. Here. You have it. Bring it to me. That's your job. Um, so I think it's really, really important that dogs don't get in the habit of swimming around the decoys and trying to grab as many as they can because then they fumble one or you've got a cripple, but it's it's swimming towards the other one. Like... There's so many little scenarios where, like, your example, I can understand that, and people would be like, no, man, I want him to pick up sure, two at once. Yeah, yeah. Well, guess what? He's got one in his mouth, and the other one's diving on him, and he's just screwing around in the decoy. He's trying to get the one diving while he's got one in his mouth while you could actually have him come back to you, pound that one in the decoys that's diving on you, resend him. Yeah. Like, just... it. You I see, see your point. point. Like, yeah, it, it's it's more realistic to think that and there's going to be point, chaos like, yes. than there is going to be, wow, two stone dead and we just got a twofer. Right, exactly. There's more likelihood that it's going to be a little bit chaotic because it's just never a perfect scenario. So that's why I like dogs to do it the quote-unquote right way. And that's well, my way. Which, yeah. Well, yeah, the right way. <laughs> I'm kidding. So I'm going to bother you with this question because I know that we've had people – Right in on Instagram Live and things like that before. How do I get my dog to stop shopping the pile? Why do you whatever this and that? And you've mentioned it's not the end of the world. I can right. fix that. I can whatever. Don't don't harp on you know. Don't sweat the small stuff, sort of thing. So yes, I'm gonna I'm gonna put the screws to you here. Exactly. What's up? You remember I've said it a million times. Dog training is finesse. Every dog is different. Every scenario is different. If a dog runs out really hard to the pile and picks up one, drops it and grabs another and comes back to me. Yes, that's shopping the pile, but it's not procrastination. It's not like lack of effort. 
is not is not that bad. If every single time they go to the pile and they spend 12 seconds bouncing wrong to every bumper in that pile, then I am going to correct it. Here, Nick, here, here, Nick, here, here, Nick, here, here, Nick, here, until they decide, yeah, the one I got is, is good enough, I'm coming. And then the next time they maybe only do it twice, and the next time they only do it twice, and then, you know, all of a sudden it's not as bad as it was. That's how you would correct it. Um, but a dog that once in a while shops the pile, not a big deal. And, and that comes back to like a dog giving you effort, a dog procrastinating, like a lot of dogs who have poor work ethic will shop the pile because they know as soon as they get back to me, they got to go again. So they'll stand there and they'll like pick one up and they're like, "Mm, uh, no, this one, no way. Go get it, bring it back to me. Now, other dogs like May, May was bad at it. May is so freaking fired up, she's going to shop the pile. So my correction of here, Nick, here is to calm her down and be like, girl, you better do your job. You know better. Go and get it and come back. So there's different reasons why I might make a dog, you know, or, or teach a dog or enforce not shopping but a lot of dogs i think people get too worried about shopping the pile that's why i would in general say don't sweat it it's all good but then again if you think your dog is putting out like a crap effort then yeah get on them teach them the right way to do it and what you expect of them and and you're good um so anyways that's big now we're going to double back real quick to the old Sam puppies again because um, I'm excited about it, and I think we dabbled for a minute in them. But, you know, right now the assessment of them is they're all well socialized. There's not like the wallflower. She was really pleased to, you know, tell me that. There's no wallflower. They're all social. They're all healthy. They're all gaining weight. They're all good. Now my job the next couple of days, because she doesn't really have the facility to do like the bird work and the water work, Sure, is they're going to get here. I'm going to put them in some scenarios that is going to make them uncomfortable and like just watch. And I'm going to hand select each puppy for each owner. And my aunt is getting one, Aunt Sheila. Shout out Aunt Sheila and <laughs> Kevin. Nice. Hope the boys don't listen to the podcast. She's got a couple uh, young boys that are... I don't know, maybe freshman in high school and Something one that's like, like that. I don't know, maybe sixth, fifth grade. I don't know. And, and so they're getting a, a black female and that black female is going to become a part of our breeding program. And so I'm going to do all the hunting training. I'm going to do all the obedience. We're going to put some titles on the dog. And I'm really, really excited because sometimes like the first litter of cruise puppies seven out of 12 came back and I trained them. So I got to feel every single dog out, good, bad, ugly, what I want to do differently. What do they look like? How do they act to pressure? How do they act to birds? How do they act to water? How do they act to new people? And I got seven times the experience with them. The new litter of cruise puppies, I should be getting one back and then two or three guys bought them that are like mildly local so i'll watch them 
you know, an amateur train them, what did that do, dog do for those amateurs who haven't done this 800 times? You know, how is it, again, same, new people, water, right. bird, live birds, all that. How did that dog react? And so I'm going to be able to watch them develop. Well, this Sam litter, I don't know if I'm going to get any back except for Aunt Sheila's. So it's really important for me to progress my breeding program to put my hands on these dogs as they develop into family members and hunting dogs and make sure that, yep, that was a good pairing. Mom and dad, you know, we do all we can. Like I knew the dad. I knew. I know him. I know how he trains. And I've seen other puppies he's thrown, and they're bad to the bone. I like that. I know Sam, but Sam's never had puppies before. What are they going to turn out like? So it's really important that, I, A, I do everything right health-wise. I do everything right pedigree-wise. I do everything right, you know, putting them through hunt tests and whatever. But then again, it's still like a Petri dish of... There's some testing. You, you still sort of don't know what you're going to get. And you do everything in your power as a breeder and a trainer and a guy who is putting everything in his life into these dogs that you want them to be the best for people. I want them to be the best hunting dog you've ever had. I want them to be the best family member you've ever had. And so I'm really excited to get Aunt Sheila's puppy back into training and, and mess with it and see how it turns out. And then it'll be like, okay, we repeat it or okay, we don't, we pick a different male. Like I think next time I want to breed Sam to boss. They're both phenomenal dogs. They're both really good looking. They're both all health clearances Boss is a little bit stockier um, than Ryder. Ryder's like a big, good, strong male, but Boss is shorter, squattier. I guess like those, you know, people like that English look, big, broad, you know, yep. head and whatever. And so he has a little bit more of that look, and he's got a wicked good off switch. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that dude will sleep all day. Yeah. And then as soon as you, you know, throw a bumper, he, oh, it's like level whoa. 10. Yeah, as soon as he's hunting, training, or just playing fun bumpers, he, he's lights out. Yeah. So he has the quintessential off switch that I'm looking for. And same with Bowie. That's why we bred Bowie to cruise the second time. So anyways, long story short, you're going to get inundated with Sam puppies over the next few days and all the cool little things that I do to like evaluate puppies and see what I like and... Celeste says I'm not going to not like any of them, which is great. But I know that there's going to be one that's like more timid around the pigeon for the first time. I note it. doesn't mean it's going to be bad. It might be the most bad ass in two weeks. Yeah. But that day, I'm going to make a note. A little timid at first. Um, so it's, it's cool. I'm super excited. It's always a really fun stage. I always get puppy fever. In fact... Who knows? I probably will get another puppy in the no near future. Like, why not? What's another dog? I'm also really excited. Old Speaking of getting Andy back in shape, I think Andy's coming back to Uncle Bob's. And uh, we'll get her ready for grouse season. And I think our prop, I know we've got Woodcock. We put up a Woodcock the other day on the property. So I'm pretty, pretty Stay stoked. tuned for a whole lot of uh, lone duck action at the new property. There, yeah. There's potential oh and i don't want to i don't want to shoot ourselves in the foot here but speaking of things lone look duck, not bad speaking of lone duck hq lone do chantu <laughs> we need to discuss with all of you listeners we need to come up with a date a saturday all day and half a day sunday 
pre-duck season training seminar. So I'll do all the work setting up wingers and having bird boys and live birds and dead birds and guns and all that jazz. We'll have probably lunch provided and we'll do a barbecue and a bonfire after. We're going to only do 15 dogs. Okay. Now that doesn't mean you can't come and just, you know, you're not going to run your dog, but we're going to do 15 dogs. We're going to do a land session, a water session, and then a mix of both on the second day. There'll be like a lunchtime Q and a, an evening time Q and a, maybe, you know, the Q and a can be on a podcast form or Instagram live or something like that. But we want to have you guys out to the property. We want to host something cool and fun before duck season so that you can bring your dog. You can see where your dog's at with all the excitement, stuff to work on. And we're going to put that out there. So do me a solid. If you're listening to this still, shoot me a DM on loan, uh, at Lone Duck on Instagram or Facebook or what's the email, Kevin? Shoot me what the email is. Lone Duck Podcast at gmail.com. I will answer. Yeah. And I'll answer on the you know Instagram and Facebook. So if you're interested and want to be put on that list, it'll probably be end of August, early September. It's going to be fast. It's going to be unorganized. I promise you that's how we do. But it'll be good. But it'll I, be and I fun. think, yeah, I th- well, yes, it'll be good and it'll be fun. And, and I'm excited because we're definitely going to be smoking good meat. But also, I think it'll be good uh, for people to come and, and, like, I don't know, pick your brain. What could I do with my dog? It's doing this. I need better timing here. This is an opportunity I could work on. And so that you can have some, some more dialed in fine tuning with your dog. Right. And, and truthfully, folks, we're going to charge. So it isn't like a free, oh, yeah. free for all. We're going to have, it won't be a ton of money. It'll be something more that people have skin in the game and actually show up. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Instead of saying like, yeah, I'm in, I'm bringing my dog. And like four people show up because they ended up getting busy and not coming. But it, it will be like a deposit type of thing where you, you put some dough down and that way we can cover some food and bush lights and have a bonfire and, and have a good time. You know, there's places local that you can stay that are really cool and nice. Um, I would say we got to worry about COVID a little. I think that's no, also that's why I want to keep it figure out. smaller at first and all outdoors. Um, but long story short, if you want to be on this list with you and your dog and understand that you're going to expect to pay a little bit of dough to be a part of it. And Kevin and I will work out the details probably this week. Let's work out the details and dates this week. And then next week we'll announce it. But if you want to be on that list, send us a direct message and that'll be that. Sound like a plan, Stan? Get some. Get some. All right, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. Remember, tune in, subscribe, Instagram, at Lone Duck. Write us a comment. Love you all. Thank you for tuning in on another episode of Lone Duck's Gundo Chronicles. 
Hey, if you haven't done it already, jump into patreon.com forward slash Lone Duck Outers. If you enjoy the show and want to want to support the show, if this show has helped you and your dog grow together, if you enjoy our Instagram, if we've helped you at all, it's like buying me and Kevin a beer and you get more one-on-one from me. You get content that doesn't hit Instagram or YouTube and it enters you to win a free hunt with me and Kevin in Missouri this duck season. So jump on, links in the description. We'd be happy to have you and love to help you. Hey listeners, Nick Larson here, host of the Bird Shop Podcast. As fans of this show, you may be interested in the conversations on the Bird Shop Podcast, where we discuss all things upland hunting, from upland birds and their habitat and conservation to the shotguns, bird dogs, and gear used to pursue them. Whether you're a seasoned upland hunter or just getting started and wanting to learn more, I interview a wide range of guests, each with their own unique perspective and valuable experience to share. If you're on the hunt for more upland hunting conversation, please consider subscribing to the Bird Shop Podcast today. Thank you.